Welcome to the third episode of Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm Dane. And I'm Dan. And today we're going to be talking about Threads of Fate. This is the first scenario pack in uh, the Forgotten Age cycle. And uh, we're going to be talking about the player cards, and then we're going to be shifting over to talking about the scenario cards. Did you uh, did you almost uh, forget that it was called the Forgotten Age? Did you almost? I almost did. I, I always <laughs> I'm always tempted to just call it straight out the the, the land, land before, time, before time, the the lost Jurassic Age, Jurassic Park, whatever, all that kind of stuff. We uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Something about it really seemed to hint at uh, the fact that we might be seeing some dinosaurs at some point in this campaign. Way back when they were spoiling it, and uh, based on the Based on the packs that they've previewed so far, we're kind of running out of time for that to happen, but I'm still holding out hope. Fantasy Flight Games would know nothing about dinosaurs. All they care about is snakes. I'm, I'm waiting I'm waiting for the Land Before Time LCG. I'm, I'm, <laughs> like, I'll pre-order that right now. You know? <laughs> so we did want to just kind of address all the player cards that came out. Uh, we're just going to kind of be going in pack order. Um, so we're going to just start off with the Guardian cards and shifting over to um, all the other cards that came out. Uh, just talking a little bit about, you know, kind of what they synergize with and, and you know, just how we feel about the cards in general. Um, we're not really going to be doing any hard reviewing, any sort of like uh, labeling or, or saying that this card's, you know, some sort of tier and anything like that, unless it is really, really good or really, really bad. Yeah, I think we'll just maybe talk about what sort of decks we would put it in or what we think about it. Yeah, definitely. So, Dan, did you want to start us off with the first card in the pack? Uh, sure. So the first card is Scene of the Crime. Uh, this is a Guardian event. Uh, it's Insight and Bold. Uh, it costs two resources. It has a Strength and an Intellect icon on it, or a Fist and a Book, for those of us that can never remember what the skills are actually called. Um, <laughs> and it says, Play only as your first action. Discover one clue at your location. Two clues instead if there's an enemy at that location. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity. So how do you feel about this card, Dan? Uh, I think it sort of depends. It's it's a card that's going to be different depending on what sort of group you're in. So if you're playing uh, with maybe like three people, and your job as a guardian is to be the person in, the, in your group that handles enemies and kills everything, then this may not make it into your deck, or maybe one copy of it at most. Maybe you play it a little bit more if you're playing only one or two people, and you sort of have to take on a little bit of clue-getting responsibilities as well. Yeah, in one or two person games, I think it's the potential for plans getting muddied is is much higher, uh, just because you don't have that dedicated seeker who can just basically go off and have the protection of Mark or you know a, a guardian all the time. You kind of have to maybe rely on the other person to to grab a clue here and there. And I think that scene of the crime is perfect for that. I think it's it's definitely a really really solid one of in a lot of guardians that can't typically take clues, and it's definitely a better alternative than. Um, evidence i think because evidence you only get one clue it's it's even though it's fast and it does commit for two intelligence uh, icons you it's it's much more situational i think this is just much more straightforward it's exactly what guardians want to be doing anyways um just referring to the you know you you wanting to be engaged with an enemy kind of a thing yeah i mean it's definitely if you're not getting two clues from it it's sort of bad um I yeah, think exactly. most of the time you're not going to be happy if you play this and only get one clue. So it might be a situation where uh, you have some kind of location that has two clues left on it and it's either has really high shroud or there's some kind of thing that happens when you investigate it. So maybe you kind of play around a little bit and you try to find an enemy that you can drag onto the location and then uh, play this for your first action. Like I could see scenarios like that happening and it being sort of good. Um, like, I, I don't know. I would definitely rather play this in a guardian deck than like a flashlight or something. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of, like, uh, recently have been experimenting a little more with, like, soloing with, with, I guess, not traditional solowers, like, people who I wouldn't think of as as being first-rate investigators, uh, you know, solo, like, Roland, I think, is a great example of somebody who can handle themselves, they've just kind of got that built into their... uh, their you know little uh, identity and and you know so that they can get the uh they can get clues they can kill things they're just kind of self-sufficient whereas somebody like mark or somebody like uh zoe might have a little more of a difficult time with finding clues uh zoe's got a little more flexibility with her uh deck building restrictions but um mark and uh leo might have a little more of a difficult time with that kind of thing 
Yeah, I think it. I mean, you have to keep in mind that even with all these restrictions, that you have to play it as your first action. You right. only get one clue unless there's an enemy on it. It also does cost two resources, which is definitely not nothing, uh, especially when <laughs> yeah. you compare it to, you know, something like Drawn of the Flame, um, sure, where you don't sure. have to pay pay money at all. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty decent. I think I I was I was playing a Mark deck in a group of three people where, um. There was enough kind of clue getting ability amongst the three of us, but not a, a massive amount of it. And playing one of these seemed pretty reasonable. Yeah, and I mean there are also those scenarios that kind of will sometimes, very rarely I think, but require people to have clues to advance to a specific place, uh, like in Lost in Time and Space. Spoilers, uh, you know, where you need to have two clues to get off of, you know, uh, being in Lost in Time and Space. Um, you, there are some like pocket case scenarios where it might really come in handy for that kind of thing yeah i mean thankfully that kind of thing has been limited so far but it's never <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's worth sure. it's worth thinking about yeah yeah so so i think it's a solid card yeah i, agree. I, I don't i don't think there's anything crazy bad about it and there's nothing terribly impressive about it either just a yeah. solid card so then uh the next card in the pack we've got is marksmanship uh so this is a two cost uh two resource cost uh event uh, can commit for a uh, fight and an evade uh, or, or agility, I guess. Uh, it's a tactic, uh, which means Mark can play it. Wait, he can already play it. Uh, it's fast. Play when you activate a fight ability on a firearm or ranged asset. This attack can target an enemy at a connecting location. Ignore the aloof and retaliate keywords uh, for this attack. If this attack succeeds against an enemy not engaged with you, the attack deals plus one damage. So I have a lot of different ways that I feel about this card. Uh, first thing is that it's a fast event, which is great. It costs two. Like you said, for Guardians, it's a little rough because a lot of their stuff costs, it, it, you know, hefty amount to, to play. Yeah, but Guardians are, are often very poor, and they haven't really printed basically any cards that help Guardians get money apart from I've Had Worse or something, I think. Yeah, and a lot of the time there are um, there are definitely better things to be spending one experience on, um, especially like they're they're I think they're they're kind of trying to ship a, a gun sort of um, centric build for for some guardians, and I'm definitely eager to try it. I just don't think it's quite there yet. Um, and this card just screams what Springfield M one M what is it M one nine oh three or something this came out a long time ago, but it was a two-handed uh, asset that basically said that you get a ton of fight and a ton of damage, but it can only be used on enemies that aren't engaged with you. Yeah, whatever whatever the exact name of that card was, it was extremely bad. And this is um, this is a little bit closer to being playable. I think it's still kind of rough. It's, it's, it's sort bad. of like a one-shot, like, <laughs> toolbox. Have this in your deck for if you need to kill something aloof in an adjacent space in a limited number of, of actions, which is, you know, cool and fine. But the fact that it requires you to already have a firearm out when, for most Guardians, you're probably playing Machete as your main weapon, and maybe right. you have the forty five or with Mark the thirty two as, like, a backup weapon, it just means that there's not that many times when you're really going to want this, and a lot of the times when you do want it, you might only have a Machete inst- uh, on the, on the uh, installed. Yeah, so so it's kind of like um, I don't think it's this that great. There's a lot of better options to be spending one experience on. Um, the symbols are kind of fine, uh, but but all altogether, I just don't think it's all all that that uh, fascinating. It's not really wowing me. Yeah, I would agree. So the first seeker card is uh, persuasion. So this is an event. It's an insight and a trick. Costs two resources. Test icons: one will and one intellect. Uh, Parley, choose a non-weakness humanoid enemy at your location and test Intellect 3. This test gets plus X difficulty, where X is that enemy's horror value. If you succeed, shuffle the chosen enemy into the encounter deck. If the chosen enemy is elite, automatically evade it instead. So, yeah, what do we think about this? I, well, first of all, whenever you say Intellect, I have no idea what you're talking about, because <laughs> that book, that that symbol will forever be book. That book will forever be symbol to yeah, me. Yeah, I'm trying to be all, you know, accurate for the podcast. Oh, 100%, 100%. Name, but, uh... I, I think it's very important that we start th- using this. But, so, I think just kind of as an, as an event, it is exactly what it says it is. It is a trick. Nothing more. I think that 
there is kind of this blending that they're doing with um, with Rogue and with um, Seeker because they kind of want Seekers to be more like almost like pacifist, not really pacifist, but like just kind of limit their ways of dealing with things. Or so we would like to think, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting plan, but then they should definitely go back in time and not print I've Got a Plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you didn't already have a plan, Persuasion might be okay. Uh, yeah. But f- for for where it is, it's a relatively high high intellect test. Three is kind of tough. I mean, like, there are, mo- like, Rex and Min um, have four intellect. Uh, Norman and Daisy have five, which are, and they're kind of fine with it, but... Um, Ursula as well only has four too, so it's it's kind of a tough test to do, especially if you're on hard or or even if you're on a extreme death mode. Um, could it, it's it's just I don't think it's really worth it. Um, there's just so many better secrets. I cards. think the saving grace though is that uh, you know a, the horror value is almost never going to be higher than two, and very often it's going to be one. Sure. So sure. it's it's three plus something, but very often it's just going to be three or maybe four. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good effect. But I just think there are so many better cards to put in your deck that are seeker, you know, for seekers. Uh, yeah, I agree. You you have other kind of one-off cards that are really good for handling enemies, like the like we mentioned. I've got a plan. Um, Mind over matter. Yeah, Mind over matter is not bad. Um, so I I don't think it's that good. I think maybe you know one of the themes of Forgotten Age is we have these enemies with vengeance that you're sort of not supposed to kill. You're supposed to evade mm, them. Good point. So in that sense, you know, shuffling it back in the deck is good, but. Eh, I don't know. It just seems like you could just evade it normally or just kill it. The other thing I I, I kind of uh, overlooked was the fact that it is a humanoid enemy at your location. That oh, makes really? it, yeah, that makes it much uh, more situational. And like for for the majority of other campaigns where you know Dunwich and all that kind of stuff, you're versing monsters and things. Um, and then there are just you know some cultists. I I don't remember if cultists actually honestly say a humanoid on them or anything, but. I think cultists probably do, but it's just this was at best this is like really fringe playable anyway. Yeah, seeing yeah. That, seeing that extra restriction on it is just yeah, just forget about it. Yeah, yeah. So the next card we've got in the pack uh, makes me very angry, and I'm going to tell you why in a moment. <laughs> it is called Shrewd Analysis. Uh, there is no cost because it is a permanent talent. Permanent meaning that uh, once you purchase it or, or when you have it, it just kind of stays out with you, doesn't go into your deck, and it's just kind of like a, um, a permanent upgrade for the investigator that purchases it. Um, there's limit one per deck. It's a talent again. Uh, it's an asset, and it um, says anytime you upgrade a card with the unidentified or untranslated subtitle, you may upgrade a, to a second copy of that card at no experience cost. If you do, the two upgraded versions are chosen at random from among the eligible options. Uh, then it just says you must still meet all deck building restrictions. So now I have two reasons to, to be very angry at this card. Because not only is it letting you, uh, not letting you choose which, which um, you know, mode that you're upgrading into, uh, I thought that originally the first one you get to choose, the second one you don't. This is both of them are random. Now, kind of at a at a, a base standpoint, this card just putting this card into your deck says you only need f- like for example for for the strange solution, the first of the unidentified, untranslated subtype things. You're basically um, putting in four experience and getting eight out of it, which seems really good on on paper, but in practice, the modes for each of the different. Um, the different things are just so vastly different in power level, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's it, so far. Well, so first off, um, before this, you know, we had seen these sort of unidentified things in some of the previous campaigns, and it, it, it seems like this is going to be a pattern where there's going to be something like that in each campaign, probably, which is cool. Um, but in, yeah, in most cases, there's kind of a clear choice for which one you want, or maybe even none that you want, but there usually are not multiple good ones. So not being able to choose is a really big downside. And the upside isn't even all that great because you, you're really only, only saving a couple experience once because you're probably not doing this multiple times. Right, exactly. Um, the, the saving grace is that I guess it doesn't really go into your deck. It doesn't really cost you anything to purchase because you're just going to put it in straight in. Um, if, if you're looking to upgrade your, your uh, 
your stones or your you know all the those kinds of things yeah i mean it, it could be fun if you're trying to introduce randomness to your game and just trying to do like oh we always play with strange with uh you know the the good version of strange solution let's try the other kinds or or at least make it random but i don't I, i'm just usually not that interested in putting a huge amount of variance uh into how i'm picking cards for my deck yeah, I think the other thing too is that I think we I just kind of have to step back and give this card a little more credit because it really is kind of putting a massive amount of experience in your deck that you're not really technically needing to earn. Um and and at a base level, the upgraded strange solution are not bad cards per se. I think they're pretty fine, but acidic icker or as we call it, Meltaroni. Is by far the best. It's uh, it's mode ridiculous. We, we were we were just talking about how seekers have ways to handle enemies and stuff, so they don't need mediocre cards like persuasion, and that's certainly one of them. And this is Mama's finest way to deal with enemies. This oh, is yeah. this is spend one supply. So it comes into play. Uh, it's a one one cost asset, acidic icker. It commits for two um, fight symbols. Uh, you can only include it in your deck after you've upgraded it, and it basically has comes in with three supplies. Action, spend one supply, fight, attack with a base strength skill of six. This attack deals plus three damage, or plus two damage, I'm sorry. That yeah, is bonkers. Crazy it's re- good. It's really For really a class good. that should not be able to handle enemies, card is amazing. Yeah. And like the... the um, the evading one, the uh, the freezing variant, is, is kind of fine, I guess, in, in Forgotten Age, now that we've got Vengeance. Um, and the Restorative Concoction is kind of fine. Healing is always good, and it's not something that they're... Uh, we're, we're being too nice to this card. Just just take yeah, Strange Solution, yeah, discover just, it, and then get two Melteronis. Get two Melteronis, man. There's yeah. nothing that feels better than Mama's Finest Melteronis. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's hot and fresh. Yeah, hate hate the guy in the yard. Uh, I, I I hate how smug he is about upgrading your things randomly for you. But uh, the art is beautiful, nonetheless. Great job, uh, uh, Tijano Baraki. Wonderful, wonderful work there. I, I wish we'd gotten some flavor text for this guy, but the, there's a lot of text on this card describing exactly how to upgrade your strange solutions. So. There are there are definitely some stones left unturned there. Let me tell you yeah, that. A couple, definitely a couple. <laughs> Alright, so the next card is the first rogue card, and this is Lucky Cigarette Case. It's an asset uh, and an accessory, and an item and a charm, uh, so it takes up the you know the next slot. Uh, it costs two resources, has one will icon, and it has a uh, re- is it a reaction ability? Yeah, reaction ability. After you succeeded a skill test by two or more, exhaust Lucky Cigarette Case, draw one card. It's not really all that lucky. <laughs> Just yeah, in like... the mood for a smoke. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the flavor text actually actually kind of describes a lot about it. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, so this kind of goes in conjunction with all those uh, succeed at skill test two or more card uh, archetype kind of a thing, right? Yeah, I guess, and that's I mean, I'm not really sure how that's supposed to be an archetype that you make a deck around. I think that most of these cards are pretty much okay for uh, seekers or people that are getting a lot of clues because often you find a location that's like two shroud with four clues on it and you just need to investigate a lot. And probably a couple of times you're going to succeed by two or more. So right, right. It, it could be good for that situation. Um, but it does take up your next slot and it costs two. Uh, I think the rabbit's foot only costs one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The cost is kind of a huge inhibitor here. Of course, rogues are known for getting a lot of money. Uh, and, but, but, what what else do they use on their net? I don't. I guess it's fine uh, until you can upgrade into like lucky dice or something. Like this seems fine for that kind of uh, build if you're kind of going to go with the lucky. Um, uh, what's what's the um, double or nothing kind of a thing? Uh, but really, it, it's it's kind of way more situational than than rabbit's foot. Rabbit's foot only requires you to 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 be bad. <laughs> and, yeah. and you you get cards um, yeah but but i think the fact that rabbit's foot triggers a lot like rabbit's foot triggers a lot off of like stuff that isn't helping you win the game which is failing at things right yeah, and, and yeah. like this kind of a we, consolation prize we should be kind of nicer to this card because even if it doesn't seem like it's going to trigger quite as often um it's not you know the triggers aren't going to be only happening when bad stuff's already happening sort of yeah so yeah that's a good point. I think it's that's okay. I wish it didn't cost two, and right. uh, yeah, that's, I that's think the same. it's 
and it's going to be better for some decks than others, but it's it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't see a place for it for me yet anyways. But anyway, so the next card, uh, we've got another rogue card called Fence. It is a three-cost um, asset. It's connection, and it's illicit. A hooray for Finn. Um, it commits for one agility, and it has a reaction symbol. When you play an illicit card during your turn, exhaust Fence. The illicit card gains fast. If it was already fast, reduce its cost by one instead. Don't worry. I know a guy. Quote Leo DeLuca. 2020, what is it? Uh, 19, 1922 or whatever. <laughs> Something like that. But but yeah, so I really like this card. Uh, Wait, really? Yeah, I, I, I kind of like reading it reading it again now. I think I think there's a there's a neat illicit thing going on. Um, I think by flavor, I think it's way cooler than it actually is like by in, in practice. Yeah, I mean, I'm having a real tough time seeing what the point of it is mechanically. <laughs> um, but I don't know. What are the illicit cards like? I think Liquid Courage, probably some mm-hmm. of the some of the green weapons like guns and stuff. Yeah, yep, yep. You've got Switchblade is uh, is, is illicit. Um, the little the little gun that is basically upgraded, uh, worse upgraded Switchblade. Um, there's there's a lot of things in green that are illicit. I most, just most of the assets. So. Like making things, giving things fast doesn't really seem that great as a emergency. Like, oh, I suddenly need to play this card, sort of thing. Because usually you just want to play your cards when you get them. I mean, there's going to be some situations where, like, oh, I um, I have an enemy on me and I just drew this during upkeep and I really want to play it so I can use it to fight this enemy or something. But it's pretty rare. And just as a pure value thing, I don't think it's that great because. It's sort of like Leo DeLuca, where it gives you an extra click, but or an extra action. Um, but you only if you're playing an illicit card every turn, which you're probably not. So, yeah, I I don't know. Just it's also cost three to play, and it costs an experience. Seems yeah, seems, the experience seems bad. is kind of the 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 downside for me. I think that when you're playing rogue, one of the biggest things to get is hot streak, uh, which uh, is is. A really really big boost to their money money plan and just having to spend experience on this is, is kind of bad and what i did, did just realize is that when you play an illicit card during your turn it cannot be you know at any point in time it it so situationally i guess it it makes it so that you kind of have extra actions in a way like you were saying but um and if it's already fast it kind of gives you that bonus but mm. yeah and i mean it depends what you're doing, but a lot of your actions in this game are spent getting clues or fighting monsters right. or moving right. around. So you're definitely not getting extra actions for doing that. You're only getting an extra action effectively when you play an illicit card, which is a pretty limited category of cards, I think. Yeah, and I mean, that's not even considering the fact that you have to spend an action to play this, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like the first time it gives you, it makes something fast, great. You know, it just... Pays itself back, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and the... And the Reducing the cost by one if something's already fast. I don't remember how many illicit cards are already fast, but I doubt that that's really relevant. Yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of fail to see this as a uh, super successful card anyway. Yeah, seems bad. Yeah. Okay, so the first Mystic card uh, is Arcane Research. So this is, uh, this is a asset talent. Uh, it doesn't have a cost because it's a permanent. When you purchase Arcane Research, suffer one mental trauma. After each scenario of a campaign, reduce the experience cost of the first spell card you upgrade before the next scenario by one. Dan, I love this card, Dan. <laughs> you, uh, you you really like getting experience, Dan. I know that. There's nothing more worth <laughs> in this game than getting the most experience possible out of every, <laughs> every scenario. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, so... I think most mystics are going to want this because there are a lot of spells that cost a pretty high amount of experience. You can get two of these, of course, right? So right, yep. You can get two of these right off the bat, and then you sort of effectively get two more experience uh, at the end of every scenario, if as long as you're spending it on spells. Which, if you arrange things that way, you probably are. Right. So that's pretty cool, and it's obviously going to be a little bit better if you're playing a long campaign, uh, like one of the, you know. Uh, Dunwich, Carcosa, Forgotten Age, rather than the core set. Yeah, yeah. And I think that also kind of like, 
I mean, for for those people who love min-maxing things, I think that it definitely calls to do both Curse of the Rougarou and uh, Venice, <laughs> the, uh, the Carnival of Horrors, just to try and, and milk as much experience out of it as possible, right? Like, the the amount of experience that you get from this card is is insane if you take it for the first mission um right off the bat you know like so so you get what is it, eight packs um and the first time you do it you immediately start benefiting from the from the first scenario um so if you purchase two immediately you get two upgraded wards or, or you get two upgraded wards by the start of the third scenario which is incredible, just by itself, generating you that, that amount of value. And then as you reach, you know, the, the final destination of all of the, your, uh, your, your um, campaigns, you just have an insane amount of experience massed from this. That being said, mental trauma is pretty bad. Um, but most of the, I mean, 100% of the time right now, all, all, everybody um, in uh, the Mystic uh, faction can, can kind of deal with that. You know, they, they all have nine or eight or... In Jim's case, I think seven. Yeah, and I, so I think it is, in terms of doing Gruguru and uh, Carnival, there is a limit to how much mileage you're going to get out of this because pretty much all purple characters are going to want the upgraded um, upgraded Shriveling and Rite of Seeking and upgraded wards, but there's not there might not be a whole lot else for spells specifically, so you might only really want it to work about six times, which is definitely good, but you might not need it to go more than that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I also think so. I probably wouldn't take this in Agnes, honestly, just because horror. Ta- Agnes yeah, taking horror is so powerful. Um, right. but I think it's fantastic for Akachi. So who's sort of the other good uh, mystic? So yeah, definitely. I think I think Agnes Agnes's kind of uh, uh, engine that she has is is really important. You know how you can kind of use the. Um, secrets to ping yourself to kill small things and kind of shriveling to finish things off and then you're eventually going to upgrade into peter and you're going to upgrade into having um you know uh, unlimited sanity forever <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much yeah so I, I think it's a good card I, I honestly think it's probably one of the better ones in the pack so far i think uh scene of the crime and, and arcane research stand out to me as, as being pretty solid yeah definitely i mean definitely for akachi i think it's uh it's a no-brainer in akachi yeah so the next card we've got is counter spell and boy have i played some magic in my in my former years and i'm sorry for all of those who hold any sort of resentment or animosity towards wizards of the coast or any in any way but man i love this card for for everything that it is i wish it was better i wish i wish i enjoyed um what's going on with it more but let me read it out to you so it's a counter spell it's a two cost event it costs two pips of experience to put into your deck uh it's a spell and it's blessed Blessed or blessed? Blessed? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to have to ask God. Linguists? Anybody? <laughs> um, commits for a will and an intellect, or or an intellect, and um, it is fast. It says play when a skull cultist tablet or squid chaos token is revealed during a skill test at your location. I apologize for the for the mispronunciation of each of the symbols' names. Uh, cancel that chaos t- token, uh, meaning do not reveal a new chaos token to replace it. So whenever you would, would draw a terrible thing, which is normally what those symbols are, um, you can just kind of play this and say no. You know it, that never happened. Uh, you, you're just going basically with your base value. Interestingly, I think that those four chaos tokens actually don't have names officially. Oh really? I thought they were like tablet cultist skull and and no, and they. I believe that they only ever use the man. symbols to refer to them. I mean, we call them skull cultist uh, tablet and squid, and then we yeah, call tablet or then the the other two that aren't listed here are you know auto fail or tentacles and uh, elder sign. But I, I I think that those don't have. Uh, I don't think any of those actually have names. Well, well then, all the better. So. Kind of just coming at this card straightforward. I don't think it's that good. It's it's too situational to to be included in 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 most decks. I think that I mean for for the amount of experience that you have, maybe if if like we said, uh, getting arcane research and kind of pumping out all that experience, maybe you would get it later on. But um, as because kind of like with when as you're going along campaign, you know you get all those chaos tokens thrown in, and sometimes maybe in Carcosa because it has three of those skulls, it's kind of got inherently more of those tokens in it 
maybe it's better there um but kind of as as a singular card that that you're considering upgrading into i don't think it's that great yeah i mean it definitely the the subtype or the trait or whatever being a spell is sort of its only hope for being good because it means that you can draw it with an arcane initiate it means that um if if you ever actually play agnes's necklace then it you know draws you a card which you probably don't um and it means that you can upgrade it with the arcane research but yeah it just doesn't seem that great if you're playing the game on well if you're on hard mode or expert mode it gets a little better but i think if you're playing on normal or even on hard mode especially if you're playing a mystic where probably you're doing will tests for most important things and you have goodwill you're really trying to just be at four above the test difficulty for all the important tests that you do, or five, depending on what's in the chaos bag. And probably you're just not going to fail tests a lot unless you draw the, the autofail, the tentacles. And this doesn't do right. anything on that. Like it doesn't exactly. prevent, it yeah, doesn't prevent the, the one token that you would really want it to get rid of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's just kind of a little too situational. And I believe we've seen a car, uh, uh, effect like this in survivor right that it's it's kind of more of a, a wendy thing wendy wendy has that ability where she can uh discard a card to redraw something um and also i think lucky dice does that too um so yeah it, it's I, kind of a cool in flavor and in, in kind of theory uh can kind of just counter bad things that happen but i mean this is better than those because you don't draw a new one you just cancel it all together good point yeah, which yeah. is which is nice but uh you know again i think most of the time you know, squid is like minus five sometimes, which is bad, but like most of the time you're hopefully going to succeed on most of these for important tests that you actually care about. So, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so for all intents and purposes, not on my watch. <laughs> yeah, especially for, not, not for two experience and two resources. Right. Yeah. Moving on to survivor cards. Oh man, I'm excited about these. So our first survivor card is Perseverance, which is an event. It's Spirit. Cost 2, test icons 2 will. Uh, fast, play when you were assigned damage and or horror that would defeat you. Cancel up to 4 of that damage and or horror. Uh, so you said you're excited about this card, Dane. I think the main use that I can see for this, uh, my friend Colin is playing this in his deck because he has Sharon's Obal. And he's very worried that he's going to you know, get reduced down to 0 health or sanity and just be defeated. Fair enough. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I I can't be more depressed about this card. <laughs> All of that was sarcasm. Uh it's just it's too situational. Um normally you don't really want to be sucking and dying <laughs> and this card as a prerequisite makes it so that you basically need to be sucking and dying. Uh you need to you need to basically be on your last legs and for that to be even relevant, uh, you, you know, you kind of just have to be at the end of the scenario while, you know, like the ghoul priest or some scary monster is hitting you. And at most, it buys you a round. Um, the good part is the kind of like saving grace of it is that you do can you can commit it for two will, which is which is pretty good. Will is kind of ubiquitous in terms of scary encounter cards or scary treacheries. But, uh, boy, I I'm. <laughs> Not feeling this card, Dan. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you you fooled me. I thought you were. I thought you were into it. Um, Certainly not. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's it's like you said. I think that we've seen that some of these cards that sort of are basically a guts or a manual dexterity, but instead of drawing you a card, they can also be played to do something like um, I'm out of here or something like that. Some of these cards are like, yeah, you might throw sure. them in your deck just to be kind of interesting. Right. Like, I think we're all kind of tired of putting guts and manual dexterity and maybe even overpower into our decks by now. So if you put in something else that sort of works the same way and is more interesting, then I can understand that. Uh, but yeah, you're probably it just seems like it's really unusual that you're going to get a chance to really benefit from this. Yeah, yeah. So for the specific kind of chance of, I know how scary it is having uh, Sharon's wall in your deck, and and uh, maybe I put it in as a one of to kind of compensate for guts or something like that. But otherwise, I couldn't see playing it. Yeah, exactly. So for the last card in the pack, we've got my favorite art in the pack. Stunning Blow. This is a skill card. Um, it this, uh, this this art should be in a museum. That's what I think. Oh, oh man, should it? <laughs> oh, geez. One of, those, one of those Andy Warhol exhibits or something. Yeah. Um, so it commits for one fight. Uh, it's practiced. 
And uh, if the skill test is successful during an attack, automatically evade the attacked enemy. Thud. So, I think I really love everything about this card, and I know it's it's not. So one of the one of my theories, anyways, is that they're they're like I'd mentioned before when we were talking about persuasion. I think that stunning blow uh, is is a card that kind of like is is trying to not blur the lines, but sort of um, show similarities between survivor and guardian in that they kind of both can handle themselves when it comes to enemies and more like physical situational kind of threats. Um, and so it's kind of like a um, powered down version of a vicious blow in that vicious blow is just like straight up better uh, when you're trying to kill something. But I think that for the purposes of playing it, it's not bad when you're playing it in the forgotten age um, and it's actually like not a bad thing to do to just have something evaded. Sometimes when you're you know versing an elite enemy and you want to evade something, it kind of saves you in action almost for something that you're not good at. You know, like let's say you're playing Mark or something who's not inherently good at dodging things. You might or uh, well not Mark. It would have to be the York York or somebody um, who's not good at dodging things and is better at smacking things then he is dodging things it might be good because it means that you're kind of saving yourself in action you don't need somebody to come over and dodge it for you you can just kind of dodge it yourself yeah i don't know this just seems really really limited to me i mean you usually most of the time when you're attacking something you're just going to kill it in one or two hits and it's gone or maybe it's something that you have to evade because of some reason related to the specific campaign or because it has vengeance or something in which case you might actually be worried about hitting it because you might actually kill it, which is what you don't want to do. So, yeah, it just seems like, I mean, in red, you could just play Cunning Distraction, which evades everything at your location. You could just play a, a, a Manual Dexterity. Like, there's other ways if you need to have a one-of-in-your-deck one way to evade something that is probably going to work better than this. I think that, yeah, like you said, for characters that have higher um, higher strength than agility... We might need to evade something occasionally, but most of them can't use this card. So, yeah, uh, even like Wendy, right? Wendy's Wendy's got terrible fight, um, but she's got no problem evading things, anyways. I think it just kind of gives more options for like Silas and Yorick and and you know guys who want to be hitting stuff anyway. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, it's also it's 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 practiced, right? So one day when we have an investigator that's like you can use level zero to three red cards, and then every practice card in your collection. You know, then then that's when we'll come back and look at this card again. Oh, it'll it'll be great. But <laughs> I think that this, above all else, wins the art battle for this pack. I think it's amazing. I think it's it's a muscular, manly snake man being being hit over the head with a lead pipe. Getting clubbed in the head. Yeah. No, I, I we oh. absolutely love this art. It's perfect. Uh, Matthew Cowdery, uh, way to go! Phenomenal. Yeah. Props. Standing ovation. I'm not gonna actually get a stand though. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, so that's all the cards. For and we only got 10. I think sometimes we get as many as a dozen, but it seems to be dependent on how many cards they need for the scenario in each pack, because there has to be a total of 60 cards, including multiple copies. And Dan, boy, do we have scenario cards in this pack. <laughs> we sure do. Yeah, so, so the next uh, kind of thing we're going to be talking about is the scenario cards. No surprise there. Um, this scenario uh has some of the coolest mechanics in my opinion uh where you have three different act decks um and we'll kind of get into that all in a second but um dan you just kind of want to fill everybody in on what's going on at this point in the time uh sort of i mean i i'm not usually the person that's paying the most attention to that but i'll do my best so uh after the previous two scenarios which were part of this expedition to um, the Central American jungle. In this scenario, you we return back to Arkham, Massachusetts, which is sort of our home base, and uh, we brought back this weird relic. I think maybe depending on what happened in the second scenario, and uh, and then stuff starts to get weird. So stuff gets pretty weird. Yeah. So so the all these consequences kind of follow us home uh, from from doing the Indiana Jones thing in in. Um... Central America, and uh, we've we've got we've got a cult. This is this is the first evidence of a cult in this cycle. And and what would an Arkham cycle be? 
without a spooky cult. Exactly. And also, what would it be without a scenario set in Arkham, which is kind of a fun, you know, kind of a fun return home. Massachusetts best state. So, yeah, so we've got these, these, this uh, triple act deck structure that we kind of want to talk about. It's kind of neat. Yeah, so there's three act decks, and um, each one has a couple different versions. So you're going to end up with a pretty different experience each time you do it. And they each have this structure of three different um, parts. So it's you have to go to some place and find clues, then maybe you have to go do some kind of a parley, and then maybe you have, you have to fight an enemy or get some more clues or something. So you kind of have these little tasks or missions to complete, and uh, you're going to have three of them, and the goal is to get as many done as possible within the time limit. Yeah, I think one thing that's pretty cool is that you know you you've seen a bunch of different sides of Arkham, right? You've seen it in the um, the core set. You've seen just kind of like a, a brief overview of Arkham running around trying to get cultists. Dunwich, well, Dunwich is in Dunwich. Carcosa is in not Arkham, but now we're kind of returning to Arkham, and uh, it kind of helps flesh out the town more. Uh, you get to kind of see curiosity shops and diners and things that you hadn't seen before. So I, I really like that aspect of it too. Yeah, it even has you uh, get out the location cards for Midnight Masks, which also right. took place in Arkham. I think partly, probably practical reason was that they needed to print so many um, act cards that maybe they didn't also they weren't also able to print new location cards, although they did print a few. Uh, but it's also nice because it's sort of like, oh yeah, we get to go back to Arkham, Massachusetts, everybody's favorite spooky New England town. Yeah, definitely, totally real too. Um... Yeah, I, I think uh, the the so one thing that we kind of should talk about is definitely the treachery cards in in here. Um, the things that are you're going to be interacting with other than locations the most, um, kind of pull, you know uh, pulling them off the spooky deck, um, of which we only have a few, right? I think there's only yeah, there's only three. Yeah, uh, but they are brutal. I think I think one definite theme in in the uh, Forgotten Age so far is that the treachery cards are brutal. I've been kind of reading, you know, across across uh, you know Reddit and, and Facebook and all these kinds of things, and every the consensus is that these scenarios are brutal. Yeah, it's always especially frustrating when you have some encounter cards that don't even require a test don't even really give you any kind of an option for how to handle them. It's just, oh, this bad thing happens, you take two damage or something like that. Um, Arrows in the trees. Yeah, exactly. So there's definitely some of that going on. Um, but then there's there's just in general, there's some that are really affect the game a huge amount in negative ways, which is fine. Like, that can be exciting sometimes. In this scenario, there's one called Conspiracy of Blood, which is sort of like Ancient Evils in that it speeds up the timeline a little bit and gives you less time. But it's particularly tough because... It attaches to the agenda and reduces the doom threshold by one. And you can get rid of it by doing a parley test on a cultist in play. It sort of adds a parley test to all the cultists in play. But, uh, you know, very often there isn't a cultist up. Even if there is, it's not a super easy test to do. So a lot of times it's basically just the ancient evils. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, which which is fine. I think it's kind of a cool spin on ancient evils anyway, because it kind of provides you that chance that you can dispel it or, or you know kind of make it go away but for the most part yeah it's 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 these are these are all brutal man uh nobody's home another treachery card a revelation attached to your location if there are no clues at your location nobody's home gains surge um you must spend one additional action to investigate attached location and then forced if there are no clues on attached location discard nobody's home now this kind of runs in a line of of um hard uh i guess i guess like there, there's the um locked doors set there's the the spooky portal from dunwich that you have to um one well, of that that one's not um uh disallowing you from getting clues um what am i thinking of there's a couple things that that don't allow you to get clues while they're on your location i think locked doors is probably the the most the one everybody's most familiar with which surprise it's in it's here uh <laughs> there's it, also this... fog which doesn't actually prevent you from getting clues it just increases the shroud. good point yeah that's the one i was thinking of yeah. fog um but so uh nobody's home is kind of similar to those in that way it kind of comes in a line of that and uh it definitely can be very annoying um, because you're, you know, especially in smaller games where, where it's just one or two people going along, your actions kind of mean more. You know, you, you kind of want to get more mileage out of them. And this basically just kind of says, no, you, you, you got to spend your turn. And it's not even like the, the door is what I was going to talk about. The door and the fog, 
when you investigate the fog the first time, it kind of shatters and or, or you know kind of just goes away. And when you bust down the door, that's it. The door is gone. Whereas this card, you actually have to get all of the clues off the location. So the more players there are, the more clues there are, and the tougher it is to to you know to take care of nobody's home. Yeah, I mean it's it's just kind of random. If you get it on a place that only has one clue left, or a place where you don't actually need to get the clues, then it's just really not bad at all. But if yeah. you, and in fact, it's even good rather than shuffle it back into the encounter deck, just leave it on a place with one clue or something. Sure, good point. But good point. if it's on a place where there's you know six clues that you really need to get because it has victory on it or something, then it's pretty annoying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then uh, the last treasure we have in the pack is called the Secret Must Be Kept. It's a scheme. Uh, it's peril which means nobody else can uh, can see it or you can't really consult with anybody. Uh, Revelation test three will. If you fail, take one damage and one horror. For each act deck the investigators have completed, this skill test gains plus one difficulty and deals plus one damage and one horror if it is failed. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one damage and one horror is uh, not great, but usually something that you can handle. Uh, taking more than that is definitely pretty bad. It, this is just another good reason to... Um to try to not finish the acts early so that when there's still time to draw these cards, sort of, it seems like sort of the best strategy for doing this scenario is to try to get the acts done as quickly as possible, but to not actually complete them until the very end. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's the, the um, most exciting way to do it too, for me, I think it's kind of like a different way that we've, we have to tackle this. Um, it's the only kind of dimension that we haven't been able to do it in, uh, in, in other scenarios and in other setups like this, uh, like non-traditional setups, where we kind of have to knock it down to the last act or, and, and for each of the, of the act decks and, and make sure that you know, everybody's ready to proceed kind of like a boss or something. Yeah, it is kind of like that. Um, more exciting that way. Yeah, so overall, I think the scenario was pretty fine. I I, I uh, enjoyed trekking through the streets of Arkham again. I enjoyed the uh, the treacheries and the various encounter sets. We got those night gaunts pulling us out every which way to back to central locations. Um, we had uh, the locked doors and, and kind of making it tough to get clues. And then just kind of like exploring and, and trying to figure out who is the uh, is the who the bad guy is with the, all the cultists and everything is is it was was pretty fun. Yeah, I think uh, we've talked a little bit about how Midnight Masks became sort of almost like an archetype for scenarios that has been repeated a couple of times since. And mm-hmm. this feels definitely. like this feels like sort of the Forgotten Age version of that. Right, um, definitely. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely kind of fun. It feels sort of a little bit less closely tied to the Forgotten Age theme than most of the other than the other two scenarios so far because it's not set in the jungle. You don't have this sort of like survival aspect to it. That's fine with me because I'm not super excited about that. So I thought this was pretty fun. But I don't know how memorable this is going to be. I mean, it's it's fun, but I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be thinking back like, oh yeah, let's do let's do Threads of Fate again, you know? Yeah, I think it's I think it's de- definitely the least brutal. Um, I, I and it, it kind of makes sense, right? Because you're not in the jungle anymore. You don't have to worry about supplies and and kind of what juggling things. Um, so it's kind of almost a relief um, to not to be to be home in this way because it's a little a little more lax, um, a little more relaxed, I guess, as you're kind of coming back and, and doing the uh, midnight masks routine. But um, yeah, I, I think I like the flavor. I think I like the the way uh, the act decks and the agenda decks work together. Um, it's just kind of annoying to set up. <laughs> Would be my only gripe. It's also cool. Uh, it's always fun when you can sort of have the uh, split up or don't split up. Thing going on like because it, it's not really horror themed as much as some of the other scenarios but it is this sort of like should we split up and have some people work on these parts of the act deck and these people work yeah on these good other point ones. good point um you know it's kind of cool yeah i like that aspect of it too and i definitely wouldn't mind seeing more of it i, I wouldn't mind seeing uh more variations on this or you know kind of like different ways to 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 tackle acts and agendas yeah, although I, I would be surprised if they did this super often just because of, I think, the practical concerns of needing to print so many... Um, a ton of, yeah, yeah like, and agenda cards. It, it does seem to have constrained how many player cards they could make and how many locations and, and, and stuff. Yeah, and treachery cards, right? There's only three. Uh, aren't there normally only about three, though? I don't honestly know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, so overall, you know, pretty decent scenario. Nothing, um, I don't think anything incredibly exciting, but it's all, it's all right. Yeah, so I mean the the only kind of um, 
I guess I guess negative other than it taking quite a while to set up and make sure everything's in in place is the fact that there's only one spoilers resolution uh, per se. There's there's you know there's no like if the investigators are defeated read this resolution uh, otherwise read this solution uh, resolution rather. Um, but there are different rewards uh, based upon and different outcomes based upon how many act acts were finished, the way you finished them. Uh, the the dialogue choices you made in the beginning, um, you know, if each doc is hanging out with you or not, that kind of thing. So that's also kind of a cool variation on on well, if you did this, read this. If you did this, read this. Kind of a thing. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. And it also, while the resolution might not change a whole lot, you are going to get different act decks if you play it again, probably. So that's right, kind of point. a neat amount of uh, replayability that it has. Yeah. Yeah, all in all, I'm I'm pretty excited for the Boundary Beyond. Yeah, which is a really interesting, spooky name, and we'll see whether it lives up to that. Absolutely. So I think that covers it. I think we've we've covered all player cards, all scenario cards, um, the art in in uh... <laughs> stunning blow. <laughs> the art in stunning blow is always amazing, and that's going to stick in my mind forever. That that to me is the most standout part of this pack. It's gonna it's gonna stick in your mind just like that. A blunt object is going to stick in that critter's skull. <laughs> oh, poor snake, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, always a pleasure to, to review all these uh, player cards and, and scenarios and things, and we'll definitely be doing more of this in the future. I think we'll try and be splitting these up so that we kind of get a little taste of it here and there. Uh, we're going to try and make sure that we don't you know, spoil all the, the scenario stuff right when it comes out, too, for you guys. Yeah, once we're sort of more current with when things are being released, um, we probably will spread it out a little bit more, and we'll try to be more careful about uh, announcing spoilers ahead of time, too. Yeah, well, again, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks. See you, guys.